I've got a lot that I want to cover this morning, a lot that I want to preach to you today. And so I want to just get right at it. I'm going to be teaching out of the Gospel of Matthew, chapter 28, verses 18 through 20. It's going to be our focus passage. And um, I want to ask you guys to stand with me this morning. Just um, uh, for the reading and the hearing of God's Word today. And uh, before uh, we jump into the passage, let me just say Happy Father's Day. And uh, men, I hope that today you'll be inspired by the message, not because of something I've said, but because of what the Holy Spirit has said to you. But I also want to challenge you today. And I want to ask you to be open to the challenge. Um, It's Father's Day, of course, and uh, today's message just seems to work out perfectly for Father's Day. And I'll say a little more about that in the next few minutes. But I just want you, all of us, to be challenged, all of us to be inspired. But men, fathers, I'm especially talking to you guys this morning. So let's uh, at least read this passage of Scripture together. Matthew chapter 28, beginning in verse 18. Jesus came and told his disciples, I've been given all authority in heaven and on earth. In other words, this is the final word. I am the authority. I'm the man. This is the message. This is your, what we call the great commission. But he's saying this is going to be your mission statement. There's not another word. There's not going to be something else after this. This is the word. Therefore, go and make disciples of all the nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. Teach these new disciples to obey all the commands that I have given you and be sure of this, that I'm with you always, even to the end of the age. Okay, listen to me, just as we're getting going here. This is foundational truth. These words from Jesus right here, this great commission is the mission of the church. If you want to know why the church exists, and I'm talking about the church that I grew up in, Berry Hill Baptist Church in Charlotte, this church, Rocky River Church, the church down the road, the church across town, the church somewhere else around the world, every church that invokes the name of Jesus, this is our mission. That never, ever changes. And if it does change in the church, that church is no longer the body of Christ. Because this is the mission. However, God seems to give new vision or fresh vision to every generation for how to carry out this mission. And the example that I always think of in my own life is, um, now my father and my mother and father are here today, but my father was not a pastor, but my grandfather, my, my mother's father, he was a pastor. And believe me, his ministry and the way he dressed and the way he carried himself is a lot different from the way I minister today. But my grandpa was living out the Great Commission just like I'm living out the Great Commission, do you see? But my grandfather and his generation, they had a vision for how to live out the mission of Jesus. Just like us at Rocky River Church, we have a vision for how to carry out this mission. Here's the mission that God put in mine and Karen's hearts 
11 plus years ago. It is to give people the best opportunity possible to become fully committed, growing followers of Jesus Christ. And last week, I started talking about what it means to live a life that is fully committed and growing in Jesus Christ. And I gave you the very first truth, the very first principle, the very first commitment that a person has to make. That foundational commitment is that a person has to commit their life to Jesus Christ. And it's not a half-hearted commitment. It's not a part-time commitment. It's all in Jesus and nothing else. And so what happens is when you put your faith and trust in Jesus, when you invite Him into your life, you are saying, I am no longer the boss of my life. I am no longer my life manager. I am no longer Umro Nu... Well, I didn't say that right, did I? <laughs> See, it's because I'm not, I'm not... I don't know Spanish. Um, numero uno? Number one is what I mean... When you invite Jesus into your life, thanks, man. You know Spanish, and I don't, but I appreciate it. It's, it's Spanish, right? Okay. All right, so this is just totally lost here, isn't it? But you're not the director anymore. Jesus, when he comes into your life, he becomes your managing director. He becomes the owner president and CEO of your life. And listen, it's a good deal. It's a good deal because what you get is you get forgiveness of your past sins. And there's not a person in this room, there's not a person listening to this message online who doesn't have something in their past that they need forgiveness from. So you get forgiveness of your past sins, but you get power to live by today. Because when you accept Jesus Christ into your Lord and Savior, the Scriptures teach us that the Holy Spirit comes into your life. And so now you're not just trying to make it through life. You're not just trying to make it through your problems and the hassles and do a marriage and, and have a career and raise kids and all that on your own because you have the Spirit of God, which is the power of God, in your life. And then you have a purpose to live for. And some of you know how important it is to have a purpose to live your life for. You know it because you are not living for Jesus yet. And so you live for this for a while, and you live for that for a while, and you move from one thing to the next. And that doesn't mean that life is not good at times, but even at the best of the times when you're living without Jesus, when you put your head on the pillow at night, you know, again, even if it's good, you know that something is still missing. That something is really someone, and that someone is Jesus. And when Jesus comes into your life to be your managing director, when you commit your life to Him, you also have the hope of heaven. And so you know that what Paul says is true, that to be absent in this life is to be present with God in the next life. So when it's all done on this life, you don't just go back to dust. That's not the end. But for the person who has trusted Jesus as their Lord and Savior, it's only the beginning because we have the hope of heaven. That's commitment number one. Now I'm going to pray for us and let you guys be seated. And I'm going to give you principles two, three, and four on your talk notes. They're principles one, two, and three 
But in living a life that is fully committed and growing in Christ, there are five commitments. The first one is that you commit to Christ. Let me pray. You guys be seated. Pull out your talk notes, and I'll give you principles two, three, and four, and we'll wrap this thing up next Sunday. God, thank you for the opportunity just to dive into your word and to listen to you speak to us. I pray that today we would receive this as words of hope and encouragement and principles that we can live our lives by. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. So here's principle number two, or commitment number two. I have to commit to be a a member of His family. Paul says it this way in Ephesians 1.5. He says, God decided in advance to adopt us into His own family by bringing us to Himself through Jesus Christ. This is what He wanted to do, and He did it to give Him great pleasure. This, you know, it's, it's Father's Day again, and uh, just before James and I were leaving the house, James is my little boy, he's 10, he, he likes to come to church with me on Sunday mornings. And, uh, and I've, been, I've been thinking that it was because it was he just likes to be with me and he likes to come over and set up and stuff. But I think it may be that sausage biscuit at Hardy's that I get for him every Sunday morning. But uh, we're, we're about to come over this morning and Karen uh, yelled to me to wait and she and the kids gathered up and they gave me my Father's Day card. And uh, after they gave me the Father's Day cards, James kind of slipped up to me and he said, Happy Brother's Day. And at first, like, it kind of took me aback, and then I, I realized what he meant. He thinks it's a big deal that I'm not only his father, but I'm his brother in Christ. And he's, he's learned that in the children's ministry here, because he's read passages like this one and other passages that Paul uses where he calls us brothers and sisters in Christ. He just thinks that's cool, and he, he wants a brother, and it don't look like that's going to happen. So I guess, I guess he just has to settle for his father, who is also his spiritual brother. He gets a big kick out of that. And, and listen, uh, I get a kick out of it too, but it means so much that you understand what this means, that in Jesus we are brothers and we are sisters. In the first century, and actually even through the second century of the church, in some places it was illegal to be a Christian. And even in places where it was not illegal to be a Christian, you were at minimum ostracized from your family and from your home and your community. And so you would lose everything. And so what would happen is these people, they would have to move out literally sometimes out of their community and they would gather up in groups of people that were not connected by a bloodline, but they were connected through the blood of Jesus. And so they began to think of themselves as their new families. They are brothers and sisters in Jesus Christ. Now listen to me. I'm not telling you that when you become a Christian, or now that you are a Christian, that you have to give up your earthly family. I couldn't imagine doing that. Well, I've got a couple family members I'd give up, but I, for the most part, I want to I keep them. But I'm not, I'm not saying that you ought to give up your family. What I'm simply saying is that you need your nuclear family, whatever that is, you need that group, but additionally, you need a spiritual family. And, and I haven't seen that uh, 
to be any more important than the way I've seen it played out in our church and our community this week. And I'm, I'm not going to go into details because that's not my job to go into details on stuff like this. But we have a family in our church that this week they have gone through one of, one of the, at least one of the top five hardest things that I've ever seen a family have to struggle through. And, and it didn't happen right here in our community. It happened a state away. And, and I talked to them, you know, through different ways and a number of different times. And the thing that I heard over and over and over again is I don't think we can make this without our church family. Our church family has been so important to us. We needed our church family. And you know why that is? It's because you can't necessarily share everything with your flesh and blood family. And the reason for that is, is some of us are lucky enough or blessed enough to live in families where you, you can call your parents or you, you can call some other family member and say, I need prayer on this. But many people don't live in a family like that. So you can't call a family and say, hey, I'm going through this. I really need some help. I need you to be praying for me or I've got this issue going in my life and, and we, we really need somebody to stand with us. But let me tell you something. When the doo-doo hits the fan... You need a group of people that no matter... I'm not sure I should have said that. I'm sorry. I'm sorry. But when it hits the fan, you need a group of people that you know, no matter what the battle, no matter what the fight looks like, that they will be with you in the trenches. And will family do that? If they're worth anything, they will. But a spiritual family will too. And a spiritual family can stand with you and fight in ways that oftentimes your physical family can't do it. You've got to have a church family. And listen to me. It takes commitment to be a part of a church family. It takes commitment. Now I want to tell you up front that... That Rocky River Church, and I know because I'm, I'm the pastor, it can be as dysfunctional and unhealthy as your flesh and blood family and any other church around or any other church on the planet. You know why? Because it's made up of people. Because you're a part of it. And we all get to be dysfunctional together. But there's something about it. In all our dysfunction, we seem to function. And the church is never going to be a perfect place because none of us are perfect. We all bring our baggage, our garbage, our junk, our problems with us. And so at times it's what makes us frustrating, but at other times it's what makes us glorious too. I want to say this, and I know that sometimes I I get in preacher mode, and so the look on my face can be a scowl, and I can't help that. Karen has gotten on to me about it for years. Even some of the things that I, I say with compassion and out of love the, the body language says whatever that is. I don't know how to put that into a word. So I'm saying this with love and compassion. If you can't be committed to Rocky River Church, please 
for your sake, for the sake of the kingdom, find a church where you can be fully committed. Now, there's not a preacher on the planet, and any, any, any preacher who ever tells you that he doesn't want to pastor the biggest church in the world is just lying. Because there is something about all of us. We want to be the best at what we do. You know, every preacher wants to come in and there be thousands of people there. But I don't really care if that ever happens here or not. But I can't tell you that there's not that part of me that sometimes would just like to walk in and, you know, there's Bobcat Arena or Time Warner Arena, you know, and there's just thousands of people. I'm never going to pastor a church that size. I'm sure of it. But I want Rocky River Church to grow. How big do I want it to grow? I want Rocky River Church to grow until there is not one more person that can go to hell from Cabarrus County. So what, however big that is, I don't care about the size of it. That's why I'm saying to you, I'm not interested in just keeping you so we can count you as a number. I'm interested in your being fully committed and growing in Jesus Christ. And if that's not here, let it be somewhere down the road. But be somewhere that you can be fully committed. But wherever you go, wherever you commit, whether it's here or somewhere else, you got to pull up your big boy pants and be a man about it. And you've got to understand that it's not always going to go your way. You don't think it always goes my way, do you? I don't always get my way. Things are not always going to go a way that suits you. It's not always going to be good times. There are going to be down times. But let me tell you something. A church is defined by how its people are committed in the down times, not in the good times. Anybody can hang around. Anybody can stick around when everything's good and all the momentum is going the right way. But you really find out what people are made of when that begins to slip and go the other way. You know, my home church, and you've heard me talk about my church through the years, and I love my home church. I'm thankful for it. But you know, today, and it's their 11 o'clock service, there's probably just a handful of people there today because they're struggling. And I I don't know where that's going to take them. In the future, it may mean them closing the doors. But I'll tell you this, if they close the doors, they'll close the doors committed to that church and committed to each other. One of the best lessons in life and, and being a Christian and being a pastor that I ever took away from my home church, it is that there are good times and there are bad times. And what makes a church is when people stick in the tough times and how they stay committed to each other. If I don't, I don't need, we don't need a half-hearted commitment. And so please, again, don't hear me saying this the wrong way. Hear me saying this for our sake as a congregation, for the sake of the kingdom of God, and certainly for your sake, if you can't be committed here, I'll help you find a place where you can be committed. It's that important. You've got to have a spiritual 
family. And if you're a Christian and you don't have a family, then you are a spiritual orphan. And that's not God's plan for your life. Here's commitment number three. Uh, it's number three. It's going to be number two on your notes. Commit to live like Christ. Make the commitment to live like Christ. And what I'm talking about here is I'm talking about you growing in your relationship with Jesus. What, what did Jesus say when he called his disciples to come follow him? He said those exact words. Come follow me and I will make you fishers of men. He said, come and walk your life and live your life stepping in my steps. Walk through life with me. Come and be with me as I do the miracles and, and listen as I teach and then see the things I do and you do those things. Now, what's unfortunate is that for decades, if not for the last century or two in church history, we have made being a disciple we've we've made being a disciple more of being a student than anything else but jesus never gave accolades to people for what they knew he always gave accolades to people who acted on what they knew to do. Let me give you an example from Jesus' life here from the Gospel of Matthew. Someone asked Jesus one day, what's the greatest commandment? Without even thinking about it, Jesus said the greatest commandment is love the Lord your God with everything you have. Everything. Don't hold anything back. Not your time, not your talent, not your money, not anything. Love God with everything you have. And before the, the person that asked the question could say, oh, well, that'll be easy. Who would ever know if I'm doing those things or not? Jesus said, hang on. The second one is just like it. Love your brother as yourself. Now, that was more than the guy was asking for because the guy was, the man who asked the question was the greatest commandment. He was asking, what do I need to know? Well, Jesus said, here's what you need to know. Love the Lord your God with everything you have, but this is how you do it. You love your neighbor as you love yourself. The neighbor you like, the neighbor you don't like. The one that's like you, the one that's not. Jesus was saying it's not enough to know. You've got to do. It's not enough that you are a student of the Word You've got to be a doer of the word as well. At Rocky River, we have a growth track. We have what we think is a process, and it's a balanced process between what you, what you learn, but also with what you do. And uh, it's, it's sequential. God is a sequential God. Even in a nuclear age where everything's just happening all over the place, God is still sequential, one step after the other. That's why when we talk about uh, growing here at Rocky River, we talk about taking the next step. So here, here, here are the steps. Once you make a commitment to follow Jesus, we have classes 101, 201, 301, and 401. 
101 is Church 101, and that's also our membership class. But you come to membership class, like we had a group of people in the office on Thursday night for a couple hours, and you learn about our salvation, what we believe about Jesus, you know, the tie that binds us all together. Uh, We learn about the story of Rocky River. This is who we are as we try to get to know who you are. We talk about our structure. How is the leadership... How does the decision-making process happen at Rocky River Church? And then we talk about our strategy for how we live out the great commission of Jesus Christ. In class 201, that's called Essentials 201. And that's where we teach you the basics, like this is a Bible. And this is how you start reading your Bible. And this is how you journal. And this is how you learn how to pray. And this is why you give and tithe and serve. This is why you get involved in a life group, a small group. And then class 301 is what we call Discovery 301, where we help people discover their gifts. They discover specifically their shape. And so we use the word shape, uh, shape as, an, as, as an acronym. And it means spiritual gifts, hearts, abilities, personalities, and experiences. When you trust Jesus as your Lord and Savior and He comes into your life, every person is at least a one-talent person. God gives us all a spiritual gift. He also gives us a heart. Some people have a heart for different ministries. Some people have a heart for working in the nursery. Some have a heart for working with the students. Some have a heart to greet people as they come in and pass out bulletins on Sunday mornings. But we all have a different heart. We all have different abilities. Some of us can sing and some of us, well, some of y'all can sing and some of us can't. I can't sing. I don't know if I can preach either, but I get to preach because I can't lead worship on Sundays. We all have a personality. Our personalities are geared different. Some people have the personality to come in here and be the counter on Sunday morning. They count up the offerings. But they don't have the personality to go and work in the nursery. And we all have different life experiences because we've all gone through different things. But God uses all of those to uniquely shape you for living out a mission to the world and a ministry into the community. And so my challenge for you this morning is to think, okay, where am I at in the, go- in the growth track? Have I trusted Jesus as my Lord and Savior? Okay, now I need a spiritual family because I don't want to be a spiritual orphan. I need a church family. So your next step is 101. If you've been to 101, then your next step is 201 so you can learn those essentials. If you've been to 201, your next step is 301. Do you see what I'm saying? Think about this because I'm going to give you the opportunity at the end of today's message to make some next steps. Here's, here's the last point for today. It's number four, the commitments. Make a commitment to minister His, His being Jesus. Make a commitment to minister His grace. What's your favorite picture of Jesus in the Bible? Anybody just want to blurt it out? Like a favorite moment with Jesus? You guys are too shy to do that in class. It's probably, it's probably not fair for me to even do that. I mean, there are a lot of great pictures of Jesus in, in the scriptures, aren't there? I mean, you know, uh, when, when Jesus is up on that little knoll there by the Sea of Galilee and Capernaum, and he gives the sermon of his life that we call the Sermon on the Mount, greatest sermon ever preached. That must have been a great picture of Jesus. There he is, like the second Moses thundering out this great sermon that has changed 
the world. Or maybe it's the picture of um, Jesus touching the leper or taking the mud that he's made out of dirt and spit and rubbing it into the blind person's eyes and restoring uh, sight there. Or uh, the picture of Jesus as he tells the little dead girl with our family standing in the room to you know, get up that she's alive again or standing outside of Lazarus' tomb when he calls Lazarus out of the grave. That must have been a great picture. One of my favorite pictures and one of the most understated pictures of Jesus in Scripture but is essential, listen, essential to knowing him and where you fit in the kingdom of God. It's when Jesus and his disciples are celebrating the Passover feast that we now call the Lord's Supper or communion and all of his disciples are gathered around and Jesus comes over with a basin of water and lays a towel over his arm and washes the feet of these men. I don't love anybody in here that much. I hate feet. I don't even like my own feet sometimes. Feet just seem nasty to me, but I'm telling you, the dirtiest pair of feet in here are cleaner than any pair of feet that were reclining at the table with Jesus a couple thousand years ago. These guys, if they were not barefooted, they were walking around with, you know, glorified flip-flops. And uh, they walked dirty streets, and so their feet were, were dirty and dusty. And so it was the common practice. I mean, if you were a good host, whenever someone came into your home, you would greet them with water that they could clean up their face, their hands, and their feet if they'd been traveling. And you'd give them a flask of oil so that they can shine up their face and kind of take a a cat's bath uh, right there at your door. And so this wasn't just a nice gesture that Jesus is making to the disciples. That's what it would be for us today if we had a foot washing ceremony. It would just be a gesture. But for them, it had so much more meaning. It was a practical need that Jesus was meeting. He was serving them. And listen, he's not only being a servant to them, because when we use words like servant, it takes some of the edge off of what the real Greek word is there, which is slave. Jesus put himself in the role of being slave in front of his disciples to clean their feet. Jesus himself says right here in Matthew 20, 28, for even the Son of Man came not to be served, which I didn't, he says, I didn't come to set up a throne here and to build a cabinet and so everything can be geared toward me and make it all about me. For the Son of Man came not to be served, but to serve others and give his life as a ransom for many, to just spill his life out for other people. And that's not just something Jesus talked, that's something Jesus did. And so we have that picture of him on Calvary hanging on a cross. And so how could we ever think that we would be more than Jesus? To not be the ones serving, but to be the ones who are being served. Jesus says, following me and being a fully committed, growing follower of Christ 
means that you have to take your own serving towel and lay it over your arm and become like a slave to the people around, around you. And when you're doing that, you're being Jesus. It's the difference between eating out at a restaurant and eating at home. Any of you going out to a restaurant for lunch today? Any of you taking your daddy to lunch? Two people. Because I know the rest of you ain't cooking. I know. Um, you know, when you go out to a restaurant, you, you, you feel like you got a little pull around there, don't you? I mean, you're, you're paying for your food. You're paying for the service because you're going to tip. Or you should tip. If you're not going to tip, don't go out to eat today. If you go out and eat and you don't tip, don't let them know that you came to Rocky River Church. That is the worst. You, you talk to any person here that's been a waiter or a waitress in a restaurant, they'll tell you that the worst day to work is a Sunday because of all the church people come in. They'll leave a, uh, for a tip, they'll leave a track. If you're going to leave a track, leave a $100 bill too. Maybe not $100. You know what I'm saying. Be Jesus there. But you know, when you're in a restaurant, you're paying for everything, you kind of feel like you got some pull. You'll send this back, you'll send that back. I saw a guy about a month ago in a restaurant, and the waitress was awesome, but he had the audacity to snap his fingers to her. And I think he was trying to impress the gal that he had with him, which gal in the South, that means a girl. He had a girl, and so he's trying to impress her. And so he snapped his fingers to get her over. I thought, man, I would drop soup in his lap or something. She was awesome about it, and she, she took care of him. You, you, you can kind of get away with that in a restaurant, but can you imagine doing that at home? Just think about that for a minute. How would that go over? Don't try that today at the restaurant or at home. Uh, I can tell you how that would have gone in my home growing up. I could tell you how it would go over in my home today. I live with the sweetest woman in the world who would probably turn into the devil or the diablo in Spanish. Turn into the devil if I snapped my fingers at her. You just don't do that. And here, here's the difference. At a restaurant, you don't have anything invested there. I mean, you're paying for your service and then you're, you're going to leave. But at home, it's a totally different deal, isn't it? Because you're invested there. You're part of the family. I mean, you may have something to do with paying for the food and that you help provide for it, but you've also got to be a part of the preparing it and setting the table. And once you've eaten, you've, you need to be a part of helping clean it up and all that. You would never snap your fingers. And if you want something at the table, you, you, or if you want something out of the fridge or whatever, you go get it. You're a part of things. The truth is that some of you still come to Rocky River like you're going to the restaurant and you snap your fingers for everything and you want to be served and it's still all about you. That's okay for a while. And I would say if you're here today and you're visiting for the first time or you've just been coming a little while and you're still kicking the tires and you're checking it out, keep doing that. That's cool because we're here to serve you. But once you put your faith and trust in Jesus 
And once you, your next step becomes to be a member in the church, then you don't get to sit around and just wait for other people to serve you anymore. Because when you become a Christian, it's not about you anymore. It's about them. It's about the people we're reaching. It's about serving people into the kingdom of God. It's about showing people the love of Jesus in practical and meaningful ways. You don't get to snap your fingers anymore. Because when you're part of the family, you got chores, don't you? you gotta, you're responsible for things. And if it's not great, then you get to come in and help make it better. But you take responsibility for the family. You help pay the bills, which is an important thing to remember this summer. Because when you're here and you're committed, that means that you, you, you come and you, you bring your tithe into the storehouse of the Lord it means if you don't come, it means that you send your money anyway. You've got responsibilities. We've got responsibilities. We've got a mission to live out in this church. Find you a place to serve. Because I'm telling you that Jesus will never really be Jesus in your life until you, like him, have that serving towel over your arm and you're serving other people. So what's your next step today? Where are you at? Do you need to make that first step, the most important one, the foundational step where you commit your life to Jesus and you give up control of your life to let Jesus steer your life? Have you you've taken that step, but now you need to make the step of membership and you need to get in the growth track and be a part of Church 101? Or maybe you've been to membership class. Maybe you went to membership class five years ago or more. And so now you need to round first base and go to second base, class 201. Or maybe you've been through 201 and now it's time to round third, baby, because you're a duck on the pond now. We need to get you around third base and get you into fourth. Well, there's not a fourth base. There's a home plate. And home plate is where you are discovering your mission. Where are you at? Let's stand together. And just with every head bowed, every eye closed, I want you to do some business with the Lord. I want you to think about where you are. And so just silently for just a moment, you pray and just say, God, help me to take the next step. My next step is the first step. I need to be in a relationship with you. I need to know you, Jesus. I'm going to pray with you here in just a moment. Or, or maybe your next step is in the growth track somewhere. You need to get involved in a life group or you need to be on a serving team. I'm going to pray for you too. But first, let me pray for those of you who are ready to trust Jesus today as your Lord and Savior. It's a simple prayer. You don't have to say it out loud. You can whisper it out loud if you want to, but you can say it in your heart and your mind. We serve a God who searches hearts and minds and He'll hear you when you say these words. Just simply say, and mean this in your heart, just say, God, today I'm yielding my life to You. You created me. You loved me. You loved me enough to send Jesus, Your Son, into the world. And so Jesus, um, or God, I'm, I'm talking to Your Son, Jesus, now. And Jesus, I'm asking You to come into my life. 
forgive me of my sins. Forgive me when I've tried to be the, the, the boss of my life and go in my own direction. Because I'm ready to yield my life to you. I'm ready to serve with you. So Jesus, forgive me of my sins. Now give me the strength and courage to really follow you and to be fully committed and growing. Give me the courage to stop by the next steps tent today and say to the pastor there or to one of the volunteers, I trusted Jesus today for my Lord and Savior and I need to know what my next steps are. just say thank you for loving me Jesus thank you for saving me and now let me pray for those of us who are left in the room those of us who have trusted Christ as our Lord and Savior but we need to take some steps you know what the step is because the Lord has put that in your heart when I started talking about next steps today you didn't even have to think about it You, you knew what the next step was and so now God I pray that you would help the rest of us here to stop by that next steps tent and say, okay, I am a Christian, but I need to be in the growth track. I need to be a member of a church or I'm a member, but I need to get involved in a life group or I'm a member and I need to be on a serving team or this is just my first Sunday at Rocky River. Have you got somewhere that you can use me? Because I'd just like to volunteer. I'd like to help out. God, give them the strength and the courage to stop by that tent and just say, hey, help me with my next step. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen.